This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Awesome, awesome. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The Bible says you are to have a quiver full. That word quiver means five. Now, I cut short on that, so some of you went overboard on that. Bless you. I just stopped it too, okay? You can, you can have the full measure of that if you'd like. I pray blessings on all of you again. Thank you for coming and participating in that. Something I believe is very honorable and very uh, much of a blessing to be able to do that. If you need a Bible today, raise your hand up real high. Our ushers here to gr- gladly get the Word of God in your hand. Once you get a Bible, we'll begin in Acts chapter 6 today. Still on our series here on the Holy Spirit. So, If you're a good note taker, get ready. We're going to go through this. Um, Just, I believe, some truth that will jump out here today to every one of us. You know, there's little distinction anymore between ritualism, religion, and reality, the things of God. And so I, I think, to a degree, the church has strayed from taking on the form of Christian. But the power is denied. And so we've, we've got to a place within the church where we look more to talent, to the intellect, than actually what the Lord Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think to a degree also we've gotten where it's okay, it's normal. I don't believe it is. So what's going to happen today, you're going to be in Acts 6, Acts 7, Acts 8, Acts 9. Well, Pastor, how long are we going to be here today? Well, just a couple hours, okay? I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay? You can relax if you're a guest. What I'm going to show you biblically, guys, is how in, in the book of Acts, and many times the book of Acts is re, uh, referenced as the Acts or the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But what you will begin to see in your Bible is the emphasis that is put on the Holy Spirit over and over and over. Acts chapter six, verse one. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, the followers of Jesus was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now, better stated here, The early church had some problems. They had some issues. And I believe there's issues within every church. There's not a perfect church. Now the problem here was between the Hebrew-speaking Jews and the Greek-speaking Jews. And so there were some irritations and When we look at this in the Bible, I think it's a blueprint on how we should deal with things instead of everybody just leaving the church. I'm going to find another church. I'm going to boycott this one. So verse number two. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, the 12 were not saying here, we're better than you. 
were more important to you. This, this serving of tables is incredible. And, and I believe what you'll begin to see in here is that we're all called to serve. But what happens in serving many times when people will say, well, I'm called to a pulpit ministry. I'm called to a platform ministry. But I like to say it this way. We serve our way in and we serve our way up. And something begins to happen when I put on the garment of a servant. And the garment of a servant says, I'll serve wherever and whenever. Verse three. Therefore, brethren, fellow believers, seek out from among you seven men. Now, I want you to note here the qualifications. Seven men. Number one, of good reputation, honorable, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, it's interesting what he said here. They're to be honorable. They're to be full of the Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit, you get wisdom. Now, if the Holy Spirit wasn't a big deal, why is it referenced in here? So when I read the qualifications that they brought up, if that was the qualifications they use nowadays, these guys would all be disqualified. Well, none of them had been to seminary. None of them had a degree. Well, do they have titles? Do they have fame? Do they have positions of influence? But isn't it interesting, the three things that they were after was men that were honorable, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. So we keep reading. That we may appoint over this business. Now it's interesting, they said that the serving of tables was a business. They didn't take it lightly. Anytime we serve mankind, there's a blessing on it. Verse four. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And their prayer had to be continuous because spiritual warfare is continuous. So what you see here is the ministry of prayer with the word was of highest importance. This was the desire. Verse five. And the same pleased the whole multitude Interesting, the whole church was pleased with it. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit wasn't a big deal, why does it keep referencing the Holy Spirit? So they chose this man named Stephen who's full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Verse six, whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And so the laying hands of, of, on, on man is, is a transferal of, of not only authority, but responsibility. And it was a form of commissioning those to service. Now, in this passage here is where we get a word called deacon. Well, I'm a deacon of the church. Well, you know the exact definition of the word deacon? It literally means a servant, a servant. Well, I want the title of deacon, but I just don't want the responsibility that goes with it. 
But again, when I look at this, this guy was a servant over these widows to make sure they got taken care of. And nowadays, if we highlight anything like that, people will say, well, I'm not called to that. Well, what are you called to? I believe we're all called to serve. And so you have this man named Stephen who's called to serve. He's a deacon. Now keep reading here with me because this, this is a blueprint. Verse 7. Then the word of God spread. This was the result when the church came together. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Now it highlights again, this guy's full of faith and full of the power of the Holy Spirit. He did great signs and wonders. Now again, this guy was just a servant. But he was a servant that was full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So you begin to get a little insight here. That this guy named Stephen, wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. So what begins to happen with this guy is he becomes really bold in speaking the word of God. He goes before the Jewish high council and he begins to tell them things biblically that cause them to get very irritated with him. But it's incredible, this guy. He doesn't back off from telling them the truth. So we go to Acts chapter 7, verse 51. And this is what Stephen says to the Jewish high council when he, he, he exposes their evil motives. And he says, you stiff-necked, you're stubborn, and uncircumcised in your heart and your ears. You're deaf to the truth. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Just as your ancestors did, so do you. Now, it's very apparent here, he's not trying to, to gain friendship here. He just wants to tell them the truth. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Of whom you now, or whom you now have been, or have become the betrayers and murderers. Now he doesn't back off from telling them truth. Verse 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to heart. They were infuriated, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. They got so mad at him. Now, I'm just going to tell you right now. This doesn't have a Hollywood ending, okay? Verse 55. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. There that phrase is again. I highlight the significance of this. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open to the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Now, this is big that you see this, okay? When Jesus ascended into heaven, I don't know who that is. I'd appreciate it if you can stop that. So anyhow, as Jesus, as Jesus gazed into, I mean, as, as Stephen gazes into heaven, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Anytime you go into scriptures, a reference of that is Hebrews 10. You'll see it says that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. But in this case, it says Jesus was standing at the right hand of the Father. I believe this was a climatic moment, and the reason I say that is because heaven was giving this man named Stephen a standing ovation. Earth might not applaud you, but heaven's sure going to applaud you. When you don't back off of what God desires us to do. Verse 57, then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped or covered their ears and they ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, which is better stated, Saul of Tarsus. Now, I want you to keep the thought of this guy named Saul because he's going to come back to play several times. Chapter number 8, Acts 8, verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting to his death. He applauded the death of Stephen. And at that time, great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Not a little bit, but great persecution I believe personally, the further we go on in this thing called life and the closer we get to the second coming of Jesus, you're going to see a persecution multiplied here in America. We're seeing it right now more and more. Now, when I talk about persecution, we, we in America, we have the thought persecution is when I go to a restaurant and me and my family bow to, to pray over our meal and someone looks at me funny, we kind of consider that persecution. Or if I come to the altar and I kneel, will people persecute me? I went to Bible school with a guy who was from Russia. And he had the opportunity to go back into the Soviet Union and preach the gospel, but he had to preach at an underground church. And I remember him telling the story that he was at an underground church of about 500. We don't understand those words, an underground church. Let me ask you, how many of you were persecuted for coming to church today? Maybe a couple of you. He said he began to speak the word of God and the back doors opened. And as the back doors opened, the KGB came in, which would be equivalent to our FBI. And he said they came in with machine guns. He said they surrounded the whole sanctuary and he said the leader came up and took the microphone from me and said, 
If any of you right now will publicly deny Jesus as Lord and get up and walk out of here, you won't be imprisoned or you won't die. About 50% of them got up and left. After they got up and left, he came back up and took the mic and said, last chance, deny Jesus and leave. And he said about half of them got up and left again. He said after everybody left, they closed the doors. And he looked at all the, the KGB members. And the leader said, now I want you to tell us the truth. I wanted to get away from all the knockoff Christians, the lukewarm Christians. I only want the ones that would actually die for his cause. Now I'm not telling you you're gonna die for, your, for his cause. But if there was a possibility that could happen, how would you respond? So there was persecution. Keep reading in verse one. Which was at Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men, God-fearing men, carried Stephen to his burial. He was stoned to death. And they made great lamentation or mourning over him. As for this guy named Saul, he made havoc of the churches, entering house after house and dragging off both men and women, committing them to prison. Now, as I read this, I, I've never been threatened with prison for preaching the gospel. But how would I respond if I did? Same chapter, verse 14. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, oftentimes when we read this, we really don't fully understand what that means. The Samaritans had received the word of God. The Samaritans were a group of half-breeds that the Jews couldn't stand. But isn't it interesting that the Samaritans had now received the word of God. So I take you back in your mind here to Acts chapter 1-8. How God, or the Lord Jesus said that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power to be a witness to me into Judea, Samaria, and to the other uttermost parts of the earth. So what I see happen right here, this is a fulfillment of what was spoken right there in the Gospels. And so the word of God goes to the Samaritans. Verse 15. Who when they had came down, being Peter and John, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now isn't it interesting here that they, they receive the word of God, they get born again, but Peter and John realize they've got to have the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. Verse 16, for yet they had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're born again. But was there more than just being born again? 
And I'm not knocking salvation. And then he says in verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Biblical. That is biblical to lay hands on people for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. So now we see a whole other group, a bunch of Samaritans. They get born again and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you begin to see the pattern and the emphasis over and over in the church of Acts? Well, I've been taught that the Holy Spirit isn't around anymore. Well, you've been taught wrong. I mean, isn't it interesting? The Lord Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Where's that? That Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Then we go to Acts 2. All the apostles, including Peter, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 3, Peter and John filled with the Holy Spirit. You see Acts 6, a guy named Stephen. Acts 7. Acts 8, the Samaritans. Acts 10, a Roman centurion named Cornelius. Over and over. But I want to take you to another one. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul. Now here's this old guy named Saul again. This is the same Saul that consented to the death of Stephen. So Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from them to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way of Christ, whether men or women, he might bring them bound or chains to Jerusalem. So guess what? Saul's still at it. He's still persecuting Christians. He's still persecuting the church. Verse 4. Verse 3, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute the church, you're really persecuting Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Verse 5, and Saul said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, when you see this, a goad was a pointed stick that was used to get the oxen to move. Many believe this was revealing that his conscience had been pricked by what he was doing already. Do you know that's the Holy Spirit's job? The Holy Spirit's job is to prick your heart. Where's that? That's John 16, verse 8. That he will begin to convict our heart. And so this is what's going on here. Pay close attention. Verse 6. So he, trembling astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Most believe right here when he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He gets born again. This is where this guy named Saul gives his heart to Jesus. The same Saul who had consented to death. Now the reason I want to highlight that 
as he said in 1 Timothy, I'm the chief sinner. Saul did. See, sometimes in our life we have the thought, God wouldn't save me. I've done too many bad things. Let me ask you something. How many in here have done some bad things? Pretty unanimous. Again, if you didn't raise your hand, we'll have altar calls for liars here in just a little bit. (laughs) How many have done some really bad things? How many of you that raised your hands to either one of those have gotten born again? See, I highlight this because for God so loved the world. So many times the devil will try to convince you God would never save you. Now let me throw some nuggets in here for this to help you. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his Hebrew name. This is the same Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Paul who said how how honored he was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So the highlight here is God will still save people and God will still use you. So he trembled and astonished and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, rise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. I imagine this, this is close encounters of a God kind. This is the kind of stuff that freaks you out. And you say, I, I can't explain this, what took place. And, and just because you may not have experienced a salvation in this way, doesn't mean you're not born again. I've seen people get born again in a very sweet and quiet atmosphere, okay? Verse 8. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple of Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Better stated here, Father God, are, are you sure you got the right man? Are you sure you got the right address? Because this man not only has put people in prison, he's consented to their death. He's questioning God. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel. He is a tool or an instrument of mine to bear my name. The purpose of salvation is for me and you to bear his name. And look who he's to bear his name before. Gentiles, Kings 
and the children of Israel, the Jews. Now watch verse 16 because you really need to see this. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. There it is again. I will show him how many things he must be afflicted for my name's sake. Now you can find out in, in Romans 8 all the things he talks about how he was afflicted. He was afflicted over and over, over and over. But see, when we hear the word persecuted and afflicted, well, I want my name registered in heaven. I want my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I want to spend eternity in heaven. But when it comes to this persecution, I'm out. See, I believe the Bible begins to prepare us. And I don't know if you've noticed in the, the nation we live in, but there is more and more persecution going on for those who will stand up in Jesus' name. Don't let it move you. Verse 17. Woo, get ready now. And I, Ananias went his way, and he entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the church has gotten away from the doctrine of laying on of hands. But it is very biblical. Mark 16, he said, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, you'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The Lord Jesus said that. And it's interesting here that he laid his hands on him for him to be healed and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So guess what I see in this? The Lord knew he would never fulfill his, his assignment as a man of God without the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's the same with me and you. That when we get over and think we can do everything with, with man's abilities, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to make it. When you read this right here, he got born again, and three days later, he got filled with the Holy Spirit. God's still into filling people with the Holy Spirit. You just got to be born again. And when I talk about filling with the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about a bunch of weirdness, okay? I'm not talking about a bunch of chills and thrills. I'm not talking about a bunch of granola Christians, a bunch of flaky and nutty. I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit that he comes on the inside of us and helps us. See, mankind had two great dilemmas that we couldn't solve. Number one, we had a sin problem. God answered the sin problem in the form of the Lord Jesus that he said, by his blood, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of the blood. So when I get born again, Jesus comes in and washes my sin. God took care of that problem. But the second great dilemma is I have, how do I keep repeating the sin that I used to do? Do you know he answered that problem too? He said, get filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will bring power on the inside of you. Let me ask you something. 
How many of you since you got born again, did you just automatically quit sinning? I'm forgiven of my sin, but I found out once I got born again, I still had a problem and it caused this thing called my flesh. And my flesh wants to act up. And so I got born again all around the age of 20. And within that time frame, I got born again. For one full week, I heard scriptures just like this on the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't carry a Bible with me. I mean, there's some of you young ones. I'm so blessed that you would know the things of God you do right now. I didn't know them at a young age. But when I saw over and over the scriptures, the same God who wanted to save me is the same God who wants to fill me. And so I begin to realize biblically here, I need the Holy Spirit. I'm far from perfect. But the Holy Spirit has rooted me and grounded me for 40 years. I haven't strayed. Glory to God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's been the stability in my life. And when I welcome him, things begin to happen. Verse 18, look at this. Immediately, immediately, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once and he arose and was baptized. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He's born again. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit and then it says, then he was baptized. Yeah, this is Bible, okay? Don't let it break your theology into two. I want to see you to see something here. Immediately there fell from his eyes scales. Some of you have scales. Some of you watching on live stream, you've got scales. That this thing called COVID. It literally put spiritual blinders on people that I couldn't see past it. And some of us have scales that we no longer see the truth. And some of us have scales that we no longer live by faith at all. And so just the scales fell from his eyes. What are the scales that need to come from our eyes? Now turn with me to John chapter 7 and I'm going to end with this. Well, possibly. You know, when a minister looks at his watch, you know what that means? Absolutely nothing. But Proverbs 33, 33 says, Blessed are the short-winded, for they are invited back. There's only 31 Proverbs, so okay, that's not true. So if you go home today and look for Proverbs 33, 30, you're not going to find it. John 7, verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, the Feast of Tabernacle, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about come to him and he'll get you a Gatorade of any flavor. And he wasn't talking about getting your favorite latte, okay? Jesus was talking about what are you thirsty for spiritually? Verse 38, 
He who believes in me gets born again, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice where the rivers of living water would flow from. From my heart. So it's an inside job. When you get born again, Jesus comes on the inside. He doesn't change me physically. It would be nice if he did. If he changed me physically, I'd get born again every day. You know why? I'd say, Lord, I need new hair. I need a new body. I need it, you know. But he doesn't do that. He comes on the inside of me and reforms me on the inside. And he said, out of your heart will flow, will flow. He didn't say trickle. He didn't say a little dab will do you. He said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Water was always a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. So we understand this thought here. Anything without water will die. Humanity, animals, and even our vegetation. Verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him, born again, would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John interprets the words of Jesus here to refer to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. When it says he was not yet glorified, that's Acts 1, okay? When Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he walked this earth for 40 days. After that, it said he ascended into heaven. When he ascended in heaven, this is when the promise of the Holy Spirit took place. So when I read all this, what are you thirsty for? Is there voids in your life? Is there scales in my, my eyes that need to come off? I don't know about you, but I welcome all the help from God I can get. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you a helper. So I go back and I begin to think of this. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, John, Stephen, Cornelius, the Apostle Paul. And so who do I think that I am that I can do life and be successful spiritually and be the instrument of righteousness that he wants to use without the Holy Spirit? See, let me help you with this just a little bit. If I don't have the Holy Spirit, I'm doing everything out of my abilities, my talents, my knowledge, the philosophies of men. Woo, I need the power of the Holy Spirit every day. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is my prayer for my own life. Holy Spirit, I welcome you today. Are you struggling in life? What would happen if you asked God, I need the Holy Spirit. Help me today. Is there areas in your life that you haven't been able to get victory? Woo, Holy Spirit, empower me today. I'm going to ask you to stand up right there where you're at.
You heard me reference this several times today. The very first step is you must be born again. That means you, you confess your sin and you ask Jesus to come into your heart and be Lord of your life. I'm going to give that invitation. If you've never done that, God loves you. And there are times in our lives that people get off track. They're born again, but they do what the prodigal son did and they, they depart from their father. It's a thing called, I, I want to recommit my life to the Lord Jesus. I, I want to come back home. And in either one of those situations, God will welcome you. So right now, if that's you today, if this was your last week on earth, do you know without a shadow of a doubt where you'll spend eternity at? If you need to give your heart to Jesus, I'm going to welcome you right now. That's me today. I need Jesus. The second thing is, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Just that simple. Lord Jesus, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I, I thirst for rivers of living water today. of laying on of hands we saw the laying on of hands to be healed and the laying on of hands of the infilling of the Holy Spirit if you're here today and you have a desire for either one of those I'm going to ask you to come forward we come and say you know what I need to be healed or I need to be filled when you come down here, I'm going to have our prayer team come down here. We're going to pray for We're just going to be Bible. We're going to be New Testament church. We're just going to obey the scriptures. We're just going to follow the word of God. And I believe that's God's desire again. So I welcome you to come forward today. Man, I, I need more God in my life. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.